In the reading corner today, I'm absolutely thrilled to be joined by Lissa Evans, and we're going to be talking about her latest book, Wished. Um, most listeners will already know Small Change for Stuart, Big Change for Stuart, and Wed Wabbit. So we're really thrilled to have a new edition from Lissa. Perhaps you could, in a few sentences, tell us what Wished is all about. Uh, Wished is about uh, a brother and sister, Ed and Rue, who over a half-term holiday have to spend the days with a neighbour, Miss Filey, whom they barely know, a rather eccentric, shy woman who lives in a bungalow up the road. And they are all set for the most boring half-term ever in the history of the world. But in that house, they find a number of 50-year-old birthday candles, each of which come with a wish. Mm. And that's the basic premise. But who do the candles belong to and why are they there and what are the wishes? When they do first go to Miss Filey's house, the narrator tells us that the house was beyond imagination. Beyond imagination. In fact, actually, the the, the phrase is a deliberate lift. Actually, it's, a, it's, a, it's not so much a lift as an homage because it comes from Susan Cooper's The Dark is Rising. Oh. And tomorrow shall be beyond imagination. And, and it's such a wonderful phrase that I, I'm afraid... <laughs> I'm afraid I nicked it, but I'm very, very happy to credit it. Yes, because it's so wonderful. They do go to Miss Fidey's house. And I think we should bring in some of the other characters as well. And and maybe also say a little bit more about Ed and Rue so we get a sense of who they are as characters. Yes, it's quite a compact book. There are five characters, in effect. There's a few parents who dot around that we meet briefly. Basically, Ed is... uh, sort of 10 and a half, nearly 11. He's a very sharp, clever, logical boy. He also happens to be in a wheelchair and he hasn't always been in a wheelchair. And that emerges as the book progresses. We don't learn a lot about it, but um, he's he's very conscious that he is not like other kids, but he also is bright enough to forge his own way of being with them. His little sister, Rue, adores him and also protects him to a certain extent which, again, Ed is aware of and quite prickly about. So that's the brother and sister. Then there is their new friend, Willard, who happens to live across the wall from Miss Filey's house. Willard has just moved into town with his mum, who, uh, well, we'll find out in a moment because I'm going to do a reading. But uh, Willard is, uh, as we shall find out, uh, very proud of his status as class clown. And Ed, who very much sees him, himself as a sort of wit and 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 the centre of, of, of clever joking is quite resentful of the fact that Willard's going to be joining his class and doing armpit fart noises as a speciality. Then there's Miss Filey, who's, um, who's the, the children regard as extremely old, but who's probably in her mid-60s, and who is shy, who has lived at the end of the road all her life, uh, has been a carer, basically, and is now for the first time in her life living on her own and hasn't quite connected with the rest of the world. And then there is Miss Filey's cat, Atley, who is very old and very smelly. <laughs> those, that's, that's the five of them who are very much the, the centre of the adventure. Just while we're talking about character, I'm going to pick up on the wheelchair aspect and Ed's character, because one of the things that I really appreciated in this story is that he felt like a fully rounded character and that you were able to pick out the not so nice characteristics. Obviously, there are reasons there, but there can be a tendency to 
you know, these characters disabled, we've got to make them nice. They don't have any bad characteristics. Yes. Yes, Ed's, Ed's sharp. I mean, Ed's a sharp person uh, who's probably been made sharper mm. by what he has to deal with. But he's also underneath it a, a kind person and he does love his sister. But it's Willard who points out that, you know, he tends to treat his sister as a bit of a slave. And mm. it's Ed who has to pull himself up and realise what he does. But he's also very aware that characters in wheelchairs are often portrayed in films, books as sort of supermen and, you know, they've all got magical powers. And he hasn't at all. But his wheelchair is very important to him. And early on, we find out that he's slightly irritable in the wish because his wheelchair doesn't come with him. And for the bulk of the book, he wishes quite specifically and deliberately that whatever happens, he will be in his wheelchair because without it, he's not independent. With it, he can do more or less what the others do. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to be realistic about it. I wanted him to be a real and well-rounded character, but I also didn't want to forget what makes his life difficult. I'm going to talk about the non-child characters next. And if we go to Miss Filey first, in fact, the story starts with her, even though we're not explicitly told, but it starts with another little girl. That's right. It starts off with a girl called Rosanna. It's her 10th birthday, but for some reason, unspecified. She does not have a birthday party. She does not have a birthday cake, and she doesn't light those candles. And we meet a little girl who's longing for adventure, but has to pack it away. Mm. And then we jump jump forward 50 years. I mean, it yes, it's there. It's there if you want to make the connection. But I think probably by the time we could make the connection we've sort of forgotten the prologue that's what often happens with prologues and you perhaps mm. only only appreciate it at the, at the end if you flick back and you think ah okay mm. that's what that was about but I just wanted to to make the the leap and to start with the little girl she once was mm. of course it does a little bit more than that too it kind of sets up a, a period tone for yes. the story as well and I think this is really interesting adult readers and children child readers they're always going to take different things from their reading but I was very aware of connecting with this story yes because uh, Rosa one of Rosanna's well Rosanna's best present when she's 10 which is just mentioned in passing is a book of adventure stories and this comes back again and it's a sort of 1950s book of full of full of girls having the most tremendous adventures of foiling criminals and climbing up cliffs and doing deep sea diving all generally well dressed in a in a school uniform and the 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 our our kids um ruin ed and and Willard are slightly slightly sniffy about it when they see it. As Willard points out in 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 one of the chapters where a girl goes to Jupiter on a space mission because she's won a maths prize. Willard said that wouldn't happen. And of course, he's right; it wouldn't happen. And I did enjoy the the, the slight silliness of the little extracts that they're dotted mm. amongst the, uh, the 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 rest of the book. The little extracts we meet, but I also like the fact that. Nothing held those girls back. There was not much realistic about it, but neither, you know, neither were they. Um, they packed into their normal roles. You know, mm-hmm. they, they they could do anything, mm-hmm. and that was what Rosanna saw herself as doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, I'd like to get into the story a little bit more, and perhaps this would be a good point to have a reading. Yes, we find out in the first chapter that Ed and Rue have to spend half-term days at Miss Filey's house and when they get there they discover there's no Wi-Fi in fact Miss Filey thinks Wi-Fi is a form of biscuit which she's failed to get them she's got a television which looks like a washing machine made of wood and they've just gone to look at the garden while Miss Filey is waiting for the television to warm up and they hear someone say hi behind them 
An extremely short kid of about Ed's age was looking at them over the low garden wall. He had a huge gap between his teeth and was cross-eyed. Hello, said Rue, trying to sound both friendly and sympathetic. What's your name? Elastico, said the boy. Sorry? Elastico. It can't be. Yes, it can, because that is my superpower. And as the boy spoke, he suddenly grew taller, but slightly jerkily, so that it was obvious that he'd actually been on his knees behind the wall. He also uncrossed his eyes and took a small square of dark paper off his front teeth, revealing himself to be completely ordinary looking. Hi, I'm Willard, he said, grinning. Did I fool you? Slightly, said Ed, unwillingly impressed by the amount of effort that had gone into the introduction. Do you always do that when you meet new people? I've got a range of things, said Willard. I patch, fake sick, spider crawling up my face, that sort of thing. Why? asked Rue. Just, you know, Willard shrugged, for a laugh. I'm class clown. What's your names? I'm Ed and this is my sister Rue. It's Lucy, really, said Rue. How'd you get Rue from Lucy? I couldn't say her name properly when I was little, said Ed, and it just stuck. Though I do quite like being called Lucy, said Rue. Is that thing electric? asked Willard, nodding at the wheelchair. No. Why are you in it? Hurt my leg, said Ed, briefly and untruthfully. We just moved here, said Willard, the day before yesterday, from Wales. You don't sound Welsh, said Ed. I'm not. Before that, we were in Northampton. We're always moving because my mother owns a circus. Really? asked Rue, astonished. <laughs> no, just kidding. She's a vicar. <laughs> oh, what does your mum do? asked Willard. She's a driving instructor. So's our dad. And which school are you at? Meadows Primary, said Ed. That's where I'll be going too, after the holiday. Are you in year five? Ed nodded. Me too, said Willard. I'm class clown, he said again, as if it was an official title. Ed felt a stir of irritation. Making people laugh was his own speciality, though he tended to do it with sarcasm rather than fake sick. Who's that? asked Willard, looking past them. What's she holding? Ed and Rue turned to see Miss Filey coming through the French windows with a small gong in her hand. The television is on, she announced, hitting the gong with a drumstick. She's called Miss Filey, said Rue. We're spending the day with her. Can I too? asked Willard, already slinging a leg over the wall. Um, said Rue, just as Willard lifted up the other leg and fell heavily into a shrub. He lay on the ground beneath it, eyes shut, mouth open, one hand twitching slightly. We ought to ask her first, said Ed. And shouldn't you check with someone at home? Willard opened his eyes. How did you know I wasn't badly injured? Lucky guess. Willard stood up. I'll just come in for five minutes. Hello, Miss Farley, he said, walking straight past her. I'm a friend of Ed and Rue's. Holy cow, he exclaimed, staggering back at the sight of the TV. It's old, said Rue, stating the obvious. It's black and white, said Willard gazing mesmerised at the screen, where two men in suits were standing in a studio. The top half of the picture was stationary, while the bottom half kept jerking around as if the presenters were doing a Charleston. There's lemonade and biscuits, said Miss Filey, placing a tray on a spindly-looking table with a scratched top. I'll try and buy a packet of Wi-Fi for tomorrow. Do make yourself at home, everyone. Thanks very much, said Rue. She watched Ed fiddling with the control buttons which stuck out of the set like biro tops. And then she realised that Miss Filey was lingering next to the door, her smile slightly fixed, as if waiting for something. Thanks very much, she said again, and Miss Filey ducked her head in an awkward nod and left the room. 
The television turned out only to have two channels and both were covered in fizzy white dots and the boy soon lost interest. For no particular reason, Willard put four biscuits in his mouth at the same time, started to choke and then accidentally kicked over his lemonade while coughing. Ed threw a cushion on the mess and Rue looked for something to wipe it up with. There was a cabinet on one side of the room and she searched through the drawers. There were beautiful tablecloths, as perfect as if they'd just been woven, and embroidered mats, fancy forks, a cake slice with a china handle, and a small tin box with a hinged lid containing a bundle of little silver and white candles. In the bottom drawer, she found a packet of paper napkins and she opened it and soaked up as much of the lemonade as possible. Where's Willard gone, she asked, suddenly realising that he wasn't in the room. Ed shrugged. He just ran off back into the garden. Maybe he's embarrassed about knocking the drink over. I tell you something, I'm really not looking forward to being in the same class as him. There'd be no room for his own witty comments, with Willard making armpit fart noises every three minutes. I'm back, said Willard, slightly out of breath, bursting in through the French windows with a plate in one hand. On it was three quarters of an iced cake, decorated with fizzy fish. It was my birthday yesterday. Mum said we could finish this off. You haven't eaten much of it, said Ed. Well, it was only me and Mum. I don't know anyone here yet, do I? Oh, Ed felt a squeak of pity. A birthday with no friends sounded pretty miserable. OK, yes, I'd love a slice. There's some birthday candles in the drawer, said Rue, going back to the cabinet. We could just use one, couldn't we? It would make it more special. And here's some matches, she said, rummaging round and finding a box. Willard put the cake on the spindly-legged table and Rue stuck one of the white and silver candles in the icing. She was just about to light it when Willard puffed his cheeks as if about to vomit. Something stinks in here, he said. Ed glanced around. It's the cat. Atley had stalked into the room, the fishy smell surrounding him like an invisible force field. Rue struck the match. I like cats, but I do wish Miss Filey had a dog, she said, lighting the candle, because I really love... There was a crash, and Atley shot across the room like a thrown fish sandwich, his tail a plume of terror. He ran straight up the wall and clung to a framed embroidery of a vase of flowers, hissing over his shoulder at an enormous dog that had charged in through the open French windows from the garden. It was covered in tight brown curls and its mouth was open in a wide and toothy grin. Ed spun away. The dog's mouth was far too near his own face for comfort. It's a dog, shouted Willard unnecessarily. Atley was making a terrible sing-song yowling and the dog was up on its hind legs, pawing at the wall just beneath them. Rue grabbed its collar and pulled, and the dog gave a joyful sort of bound in her direction so that she stumbled back, knocking against the cake table. She let go of the collar and managed to grab the plate, but the cake itself was already in midair. It hit the wall and disintegrated in a blizzard of crumbs. A fizzy fish pinged off the television screen. Breathless, Rue turned round. The dog had gone. Golly, Moses, what on earth is happening? called Miss Filey, hurrying into the room. A neighbour's dog, said Ed, cautiously spinning back round. We heard it woofing earlier. It's gone out again now. It was huge. It must have jumped the garden wall. Sorry, said Rue. About all the mess, it's Willard's cake. We'll clear it up. Oh, it's only crumbs. I'll go and fetch the dustpan and brush, said Miss Filey, struggling to detach Atley's claws from the embroidered picture. I'll obviously have to be more careful about closing the doors. Are you all right? She asked Willard, who was still standing on the sofa. He nodded rather stiffly, but his eyes were as round as buttons. And when Miss Filey had taken the cat out of the room, he flapped his mouth a couple of times before he could speak. Did you see that? He asked. 
couldn't exactly miss it, could we, said Ed. I don't mean the dog appearing, I mean it disappearing. It was there and then it wasn't there. Must have gone out through the French windows. No, said Willard. I was looking straight at it and it was... He snapped a finger. Gone. Into thin air. Like magic. Sure, said Ed, rolling his eyes at his sister. But Rue said nothing at all. It's a really good chapter to read. Yeah, it's got everything. It, it's got the characters and it's got the, the lighting of the candle and the appearance of the dog. And I think we're not giving away too much because it's fairly early on in the story. But the lighting of the candle is where the magic happens or the wishing. The wishing happens, happens because right. she wished for a dog and a dog appeared. So maybe that's a good opportunity for us to talk a little bit about classic stories, because I'm reminded as I read that of Edith Nesbitt's. Oh, yes, very much. So. Five, five children, children and it. <laughs> yes. I mean, there's a few classic wishing books. There's another one by Nicholas Stuart Gray called The Apple Seed, which are the magic apple seed, which I love too. I loved books in which ordinary kids stumbled across magic. Those were my favourite, favourite books. But specifically Five Children Knit, of course, because two of the wishes in this book are actually the same wishes as as in that book, although with very, very different outcomes. But if I could conjure up anything like her sense of family, of argument, of connection with other kids, it's so fabulous. She was a pioneer of uh, writing for children. And there are other kinds of connections as well, I think. So magic is limited. And in Five Children and It, it's limited for, I think it's a day. Sunset. Isn't it? sunset. Yeah, that's right. It goes at sunset. Yeah. Yours is also limited, but even more limited. That's right. Initially, the wishes only last as long as the candle burns. And they're very little candles. And they're trying to think of wishes that are good for four and a half minutes which of course is very very difficult but then there's a major disaster about a few chapters in which which changes everything or basically they set fires or something and five of the candles are are melted into a vast clump which Mm -hmm. changes everything so yes i i I get myself out of that (laughs) difficulty halfway through by by changing it but um i i did love initially the 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 limitation of, of the format what is exciting to do for four and a half minutes Mm. and that's that's it is very limited now you said that two of the wishes are are the same one of them is flying of course and what's the other wish that oh money yeah that's right willard at one point uh, asked for a million pounds and it doesn't quite happen as he imagines so yes i i like that um format it's not a new one but it's Mm. everything has its time you know and 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 a good idea can be updated endlessly I think absolutely I know I'm making lots of connections here so in five children and it we have this grumpy yes Samiad yes that's right <laughs> and Atlee felt a little bit like that to me you know I never felt of him as a Samiad I felt he was a con- kind of combination between Kenneth Williams and Eeyore that was my Ooh. that was in my head Sammy Addy is grumpy, you're right, and of course he's the wish giver. I think uh, Atley is more of a participant, of course, Atley comes with them on yeah. the wishes, which of course the Sammy Ad never did. But mm. maybe that was in the back of my head too. I mean, mm. I, it's funny really, I mean, mo- most writers joke about being asked where they get their ideas, but I never really mind because because it's like a lifelong grab bag of uh, of stuff I've thought about or seen or met or read or, or mm. heard. It's all there and, and it all c- comes out in different ways i mean when i wrote wed wabbit 
that initially came because I was thinking for a very long time about what an update of the secret garden would be like. And in the end, I didn't write an update of the secret garden, but the relationship at the heart of Wed Rabbit is the relationship between uh, Mary and Colin, mm. between an independent, rather fierce girl and her unhappy, spoiled, ill cousin. Mm. And so I, you know, that's how that came out. And there's always there's always a host of stuff. Absolutely. Uh, I'm still on connections here because <laughs> a different book that uh, came to mind as I was reading Wish was Tom's Midnight Garden. And this yes. time it was about the connection across generations. What you do in your story is quite unusual. You take the adult on an adventure with the children. I wanted to do that connection and I wanted to do somebody who would have been seen as really not somebody that they'd ever talked to. I really like that idea that that that's someone who they would barely seen. Children barely see old people, really. But also in my head, that was an, another connection. When I I grew up in a, a, a village in Surrey and in a modern house, but at the end of our road, my my mum knew everyone and she got to know uh, a lady down the road called Margaret who lived with her companion Jill in a house called Half Acre House and it was a huge 1920s bungalow in half an acre of landscape ground with beautiful daffodils dancing and they were two rather refined ladies and they were so lovely and when I used to visit they used to treat me as a sort of honoured guest it was like being a grown-up, and I'd give, they'd give me tea, and they would. Just, they had lovely books with reproductions of paintings, and they would show me, or or I would dance in a you know a nosepipe in the garden or something. And they would just. It was a treat to go there, so that was in my head too. That's where the bungalow comes from, mm. and to a certain extent, Miss Filey. Of all the adventures that they go on, is there one that you would like to have gone on yourself? That's a very good question. I would be quite scared of quite a few of them. I think uh, the the Treasure Island one, perhaps, as it's it's such a traditional idea, though it's non-traditional. But in fact, all of them are. I'm not a particularly adventurous person. I think all of them I would find quite scary, and I would have found quite scary as a child. So, uh, so yes and no to that one, Nikki. They, they they wouldn't be my own wishes. I don't really know what my own would have been. I'll have to explore that in another book. Have to think about that one. <laughs> Can we talk a little bit about the structure? Because it's very clever. Nesbitt's is quite predictable. It's almost episodic, her story. It's episodic. Isn't it? I wouldn't say it's predictable, but I would say it's episodic. There's no particular arc to it. They have adventure after adventure and then they stop. And it's lovely. But no, this has a definite arc. I do like my plots to tie up and to have a momentum to them. And I did have a, a tiny idea of what would happen at the end when I started. So it was pleasing to do that. It's quite intricate in the end. And I hope not too complicated because each adventure is enjoyable in itself, I hope. But there's, there are things that link between them and lead to a sort of satisfying conclusion mm. for all concerned, she mm. says vaguely. I wonder if I can just push that a little bit more on the plot without forcing you into telling us more than you want to uh, because one of the things that I really loved about it is just when I think I know where it's going you confound my expectation <laughs> I um, love doing I that. found that throughout the story so there isn't that predictability and I love that so I just wondered are you able to tell us something about the sort of mechanics of that and how it came into being yes 
And the bit where they where it really takes off, where the candles will get melted together while Miss Filey is in a wish. They've let her go off in a wish of her own. And they are stuck with this great block of molten wax and their hostess is missing and they've set fire to the sofa, although they managed to put it out. And I spent such a long time thinking what would happen next, where they would go, what when they lit this great block of wax, would they be in some weird landscape? And and I could not get there. And almost always when I'm really stuck, the best thing I can do is do the opposite of what I've been pushing to do. And I suddenly thought, what if when they melt them, they don't go anywhere? What if they find they're still in the house? And that was the absolute key to the plot, that all the adventures from then on take place in different rooms in the house, because mm. that's what Miss Farley had imagined when she was a little girl, that each door in her hall would open into another adventure. And that was that was the key to it. And as we come to the end, there's another twist and the wishing comes about in a slightly different way. Yes, we've got all the rooms go somewhere and then there is a, a, a series of wishes to do with a globe, a spinning globe, which mm. is just a, a farcical largely. And then at the end, there is one little wish left over and they all choose the same thing. So, yes, there's a whole variety. It's every variety of wishes. It's wonderful. It's <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> they have learned a lot about wishing by the time they yes. get to the end. They've learned to think it through and not be careless with their wishing which of course is the same as Nesbitt again be careful what you wish for and be careful how you wish it and Ed is ahead of the game that he's very he's a precise planner so it's him who works out what they need Mm. to do Mm. there is magic of a kind in this story but it seems to me that the magic is as much to do with reading as it is to do with wand waving as though the reading itself and this adventure book, which is quite core to it, yes, that we all have that magic at our fingertips, really. For me, I suppose it, we've only got one lifetime, we've only got one pair of eyes and one pair of ears. And what's the best way of enriching your life and giving giving you a, dozens and thousands of viewpoints and adventures? It's by being carried away by other people's and that for me is it it means that nothing is just itself you can draw comparisons you can use analogies you can see things through other people's eyes that everything is connected the more you read the the more enriching every experience is perfectly wonderful and a really good point for us to finish on and I think that one of the things that makes your writing stand out is that it does read like those classic stories that they are They invite you in and you feel at ease with the reading very quickly. Um, And so I'd just like to thank you for such an enjoyable experience reading your story. Thanks so much, Nikki. Well, you're more than welcome. Thank you. In the Reading Corner is presented by Nikki Gamble and produced by Alison Hughes. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review. If you would like to find out about other events and courses, visit justimagine.co.uk. Join us again in the Reading Corner on your favourite podcast platform.